It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. What about scarves? You put me in fashion, then I'm done. What about scarves? I guess I'm done. What about scarves? I guess I'm done. Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode number 657 of Locked on Raptors for Friday, February the 2nd. I am your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked on Raptors where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you're checking out the Locked on Podcast Network. There were a lot of trades yesterday. Weird ones, depressing ones, good ones, not so good ones. If you are curious about how each of the trades from yesterday affects each team around the league, make sure you're listening to the corresponding Locked On show. If you want to hear about how absolutely depressing the Detroit Pistons are, Matt Skoke does a great job with the Locked On Pistons show. If you want to hear the Cavalier side of that deal... Evan and Chris with the Locked On Cavs podcast do an awesome job. If you're curious about the Wolves and the Warriors, make sure you're listening to those shows as well. And as always, please make sure you are subscribing to, rating, and reviewing all of the shows on the Locked On Podcast Network that you want to support. It is very much appreciated. It helps us with rankings and going up the standings and all that good stuff. So thank you in advance for doing that. All right, on today's show, it's just me breaking down the aftermath of the deadline, a very quiet deadline for your Toronto Raptors. And sort of what it all means. The Eastern Conference didn't change a ton. We'll talk a little bit about what Miami did. We'll talk about the Sixers moves. And then I have a bunch of mailbag questions that are going to come in in the last couple segments. So we'll get to those. But first, I just want to talk about how I think this was a win for the Raptors. I, I do think without them doing anything, they did sort of come out as one of the winners of the deadline because of what happened around them and because of the moves that teams in the conference did or did not make. The Bucks didn't add, which is a good thing. The Sixers added marginally, and we'll get to that in a sec. The Heat will get to as well. I don't think they're markedly improved. And I think the Raptors didn't have to do anything. And I wrote about this yesterday in response to that wonderful, wonderful Indiana win with the crazy comeback and Serge Ibaka hitting the game winner and the week we've had with the just the joy of the Avet Class episode with OG Ananobi and Serge Ibaka. The reasons to not make a trade from the core sort of seven or eight guys on this team went well beyond the on-court. And look, the on-court product is really goddamn good. They're, they're fucking awesome. They are the number two team in the conference, number four in net rating. They are kicking ass. They've won 12 in a row. Obviously, they're very, very good. And I think as, as situated right now, are still the second best team in the conference. You could argue Boston. They have a slightly better net rating. And they kind of scare me a little bit in terms of the number of creators and stuff they have. You could argue maybe they are the second best team in the conference. But the Raptors, I think, have staked a claim pretty substantially that they are the number two. And like I said earlier in the week, like we said with Joe Wolfond on the, on the show after the Pacers game on Wednesday night, no move out there was ever going to put the Raptors into some new stratosphere where they're like one of the Bucks, Clippers, and Lakers tier of championship contenders. And because of that, I just don't think it would have been worth moving off of a really likable and just really enjoyable, easy to root for collection of players that the Raptors have until right now. Serge Ibaka has 
played his ass off, and it would have been really sort of disappointing to see all of the work that he put in this season to be a steadying force for this team ever since he returned from injury and weathering through all of the other injuries the team has had. Abak has been excellent pretty much start to finish this season. OG Ananobi's had his ups and downs, obviously, but even he has been a steadying force played in, I think, 50 of the 51 games. That is second on the team behind Terrence Davis. His defense is obviously very important. He was huge in that small ball lineup the Raptors ran out there, even though he didn't score in the game against the Pacers. He's just so valuable for the versatility of the team, whether they want to go big, small, or medium. And I just, no move out there really moved me enough and compelled me enough to forego just the the equity that these guys have built up with the Raptors fan base, with the franchise, it just never felt like it was going to be, you know, I, I know the, the sentimentality thing can you know, certainly run its course and maybe there's a limit to it, but I don't think the limit is anywhere near what this team is, right? Like, I, I don't think that comes into the conversation at all because they're good enough right now that moving off of one of these guys would have been a big bummer. And, and also, like, who? how do you know that a, you know, whatever the move is out there, if Kelly Oubre was actually gettable and you can get him for, say, Norman, a first-round pick, maybe Oubre is better, but maybe Oubre coming to a team that, you know, is completely different than what the Suns are. He was on the Wizards before that, not exactly a culture of winning or accountability or anything like that. Who's to know that the guys coming in in this hypothetical trade would be able to adapt to the Raptors' culture and what Nick Nurse seems to really want out of his guys? And we've seen the struggles that, say, Ronda Hellis Jefferson had in you know getting up to speed, and maybe Stanley Johnson is still having and getting up to speed with what being a Raptor is actually all about in terms of you know your understanding of defenses and your you know, your your effort level and all that stuff. It's a different kind of gauntlet when you're on the Raptors and you're playing under this system and you're being asked to play all these you know fancy defenses that Nick Nurse continually throws out, who's to say that Kelly Oubre or, you know, Danilo Gallinari or Bogdan Bogdanovich, which didn't happen, but would have been nice, but either way, you know, any of those guys coming in, who's to say they actually would have been a tangible upgrade based on the sort of equity and the institutional knowledge that the guy who you're shipping out would have been taking with him? And, and so... I think, all told, it's a really good idea. The Raptors didn't do anything, and I, I'm glad they weren't pressured or anything like that into making some sort of panic move after the Andre Iguodala, Jay Crowder trade for the Heat. And, you know, it's I'm relieved that the Heat did not get Danilo Gallinari. That's for damn sure. And that might have changed my, my thinking a little bit if the Gallinari trade went through and it seemed like the Heat were actually priming themselves for a real run to the potential finals berth that it seems like they think they can reach. And maybe you make a, a bit of a panic trade in that. But again, the Raptors aren't a team that makes panic trades. They're not, uh, you know, most teams in the league. They're very patient. They're pragmatic. And they're not going to put themselves in a situation where they're sewering their future for the chance at an extra round win in, in a season where winning a title probably isn't like a real possibility. But, you know, again, the way they've played, they, they are just like an injury in the Eastern Conference away from potentially doing it. And I'm glad they stood pat and they're in the position to strike if basketball weirdness happens. And we saw what happened last year in the finals when basketball weirdness happened. The Raptors were able to walk to a title basically because of it. So um, glad they didn't do anything. And one other note, too, that I sort of touched on in my piece yesterday for Raptors HQ is like Serge Ibaka and OG Ananobi with their versatility, with the skills they have, with Serge's improved playmaking and his bounce back shooting the season. Like these are the kind of guys that teams fall over themselves to go and get right. Like they have high end role players complementing Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam all over the place between Marcus Saul and OG and Norm and Fred Van Vliet. Like the 
collection of role players the Raptors have is second to none, really, in the league. And, you know, you have teams throwing out first round picks for Marcus Morris, which I just I don't understand the appeal of Marcus Morris if you're a team that wants to actually win a title. Um, and the Clippers probably overcome it anyway because they have Kawhi and Paul George. But Marcus Morris is not exactly like a ball mover or, or anything or like a nice guy, it seems. It's just a, a befuddling thing that that was like the arms race war that was at play yesterday between the Lakers and, and Clippers that, you know, Marcus Morris was the key to the championship in some people's eyes. And I just don't get that. And so just with that in mind, with the idea that, that Serge and OG are these perfect complementary pieces to what the Raptors have at the top, I think Raptors fans could really stand to just sort of take a step back. If you were upset they didn't make a move, which I don't think was really a prevailing feeling yesterday, if you just took a, se- a second to view what the Raptors have in, on hand, like a lot of the guys on the team are people the rest of the league would kill for. And the Raptors did a good job, I think, in holding on to them, and we can finally get rid of any fear that they were going to sell off. That was never a fear for the last couple months for me, but um, they, they've gotten past the deadline now, and they're obviously all in to, to see what this team can do in a noble title defense. And, and we'll get to the teams in the Eastern Conference that might make that title defense difficult in just a second, but first I want to tell you about Calm. We talk a lot about physical fitness, but there's another side of the game that's just important, and I'm talking about mental fitness. Calm is the number one app for sleep and meditation, and has teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. LeBron and Calm know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body, and Calm can help you train your brain so you sleep better, have less stress, and perform at your best. For LeBron James, sleep is as important a part of his mental fitness routine as anything else. He says getting good sleep and finding time to rest is one of the most valuable things he can do for his body and mind. And if you head to calm.com slash locked on NBA, you'll get 40% off a Calm premium membership. With Calm, you have access to the entire catalog of nature scenes that LeBron loves, like rain on leaves. I'm sure there's some sort of crashing waves, jungle sounds, all that kind of stuff. And so much more, like sleep stories and meditations. For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron in using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com slash locked on NBA. That's C-A-L-M dot C-O-M slash locked on NBA. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stressed, and sleep better. Get started at calm.com slash locked on NBA. That is calm, C A L M dot com slash locked on NBA. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's quickly touch on the moves made by the other Eastern Conference morass of teams between the two and six spots. Nothing out of Boston. They didn't get their center, and I think they're probably pretty content rolling with Daniel Tice. They're a really, really good team. They are the team, I think, that scares me the most in the Eastern Conference still outside of Milwaukee, and I don't think they necessarily needed to do anything, and it would have been tough for them to do something significant without moving on from one of Marcus Smart or Gordon Hayward, who are both pretty essential to what they're doing this season. So not surprised they didn't make a move. Maybe they're a buyout center team. I'm not sure, but um, Daniel Tice has been really good, and he's been a good anchor for their defense, so maybe it's not super necessary. You have the Pacers didn't do anything. I'm not surprised. The Pacers, I think, are kind of in that holding pattern, just waiting to see what Victor Oladipo can be this season. Obviously been pretty rough for him so far. Looks a little bit out of sorts, but that's not exactly surprising considering he's played four games in over in a year and change. So 
I, I think give him some time to get back to speed and you know just see where the Pacers go. And probably next year is the year if they're going to do something big would be the one that they go and, and try to make some sort of significant upgrade, if any is out there. Um, in terms of the Sixers, so they get Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson the third for two second round picks. It's just it's a nice addition, I guess. It's very similar, I think, to them getting like Jonathan Simmons and James Ennis and guys like that. And neither of them address the core problems that are going on with that team. The problems with Al Horford's fit playing the four next to a a paint-bound center like Joel Embiid, the lack of shooting from Ben Simmons, and the issues that causes down the line when it comes to how the offense is spaced, the unreliability of Tobias Harris as a three-point shooter, the obvious sort of issues with Joel Embiid and, you know, can you run your offense through a paint-bound big man? And can you run an offense with a paint-bound big man who's not going to come up and, you know, run pick and roll with Ben Simmons when maybe that's the best way for them to get offense, even without Ben Simmons shooting? He's such a good driver that maybe you could turn that into something, some pick-and-pop actions. I don't know. They don't seem to want to do it. And so, and there's obviously chemistry issues there. I mean, Al Horford's talked about stuff a little bit as well with what's going on in that locker room. And it just seems like a really angsty, almost like last year's Celtics type of team. And I think we've kind of seen that, you know, with those sort of core chemistry issues. Like, yeah, maybe they don't matter in terms of like the, the on-court net rating and stuff like that. And the talent on the team is still obviously very high. It was high enough for me to pick them to win the title before the season. I feel kind of dumb about that now just because they seem to hate each other. And, you know, Brett Brown seems to be on the hot seat. There's a lot of discord going on with that team. And I think we've seen that that actually matters. And like that can be your downfall in a playoff series when things get down and things are are on the brink and teetering. If a team hates each other, I feel like they're probably like whatever percentage chance less likely to go and sort of rally together to to pull together in the moment. And that's, again, wishy-washy, you know, intangible shit. But I think it matters. And I think we saw last year with the Raptors how sort of directly focused they were on the one thing all year long and the way that we saw the Celtics fall off despite incredible talent on that team just because they hated Kyrie Irving basically it just it never stood a chance and so I think it matters I think the Sixers are in serious trouble and I don't think Alec Burks or Glenn Robinson the latter of which is actually just like a bad player I think Alec Burks is fine but if Alec Burks is your saving grace I don't think you have much to save really I think you know it would have been a bit of a uh, maybe premature move, which I mean, the Sixers love premature moves. They've all they've, they've accelerated their timeline in just an absurd way with the way they didn't let the team marinate and build. And maybe you would have had Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons have some chemistry at some point if you just let them work together and not bring in Jimmy Butler to screw things up and not go bring in Al Horford to throw another wrench into the plans. Like there could have been a path here where the Sixers figure it out. I think we're past that now, and I think with. If there was to be a move made by the Sixers that was really going to change things for them at the deadline, it was going to have to be something bold, like an Al Horford trade or a Tobias Harris trade. I thought, you know, before the D'Angelo Russell, Andrew Wiggins trade went down, I thought like an Al Horford for D'Angelo Russell trade would have made a lot of sense. You know, Russell's a bad defender and would have hurt the defensive ceiling of that Sixers team, but maybe having a real pick and roll ball handler with maybe Ben Simmons able to either be a screener in the dunker spot, you have maybe you stagger Embiid and Simmons as much as possible. It gets very cramped there when those two guys are not on the ball, but still, maybe that would have been a move to help free things up a little tiny bit just to have some sort of extra creation in that lineup, some extra three point shooting. And then Al Horford would be kind of a perfect fit for the timeline of the Warriors right now when you figure they're getting everyone back next season are going to be a juggernaut again. And Horford would have been just like a disgustingly good fit as their center. Uh, And so glad that didn't happen in a way. 
But I, like that kind of move is what I think it would have taken for the Sixers to get out of this rut they're in. And I, I just don't see them emerging from it right now. They're in the sixth seed. They seem pretty comfortably in the sixth seed now. They're really falling back in the race. You know, they're with the Pacers there. I think the Pacers have a one-game edge on them in the loss column. The Raptors have seven games on the Sixers in the loss column. Like, I think even home court is probably out of the question right now for Philly based on the way Miami and Boston are playing. And so I would be really concerned if I was a Sixers fan. I don't think the moves for Burks and Glenn Robinson are going to change things. On the Miami side of things, I just, I'm not that sold. Justice Winslow was the best player in the deal. Yes, he hasn't been healthy and maybe was not going to play all season long for them, but I just, there's a lot to being made about Andre Godala, who is 36 years old and who hasn't played in eight months. And last season, if you recall, yes, he was pretty good in the playoffs. He had his moments here and there, but I don't think he's the same sort of elite win the finals MVP based on defending LeBron James style defender that he used to be. How could you be? He's 30 freaking six years old. You've got... Him not really being a good three-point shooter anymore. I think he was like 35% in the playoffs, 33% last season during the regular season. I just, I don't think Andre Godella is that much of a difference maker at this point. And then you bring in Jay Crowder as well, who everyone was like frothing at the mouth over when they brought him in. And, oh, look at this Miami Heat player. He's perfect. He's shooting 29% from three this season on largely wide open looks. I, I, I just, the Heat to me now have kind of, painted themselves into a little corner here with their roster construction. Yes, they have more guys in the team that they can use, but I think it's going to be really hard for them to find optimal lineups just because they've kind of cornered the market on three or D players. Like they don't really have anyone who offers both. You've got Jimmy Butler who doesn't shoot, like his shooting has fallen off incredibly. And you can get away with that because he's like their nominal point guard a lot of the time. And you have other guys off the ball. But it gets really cramped pretty soon if you have Butler out there with Bam Adebayo as the center, who's not much of a spacing threat. You know, he does the sort of Demonis Sabonis thing where he spaces as like an elbow creator and stuff like that, but not as a shooter. You've got Iguodala and Crowder, who are not very good shooters. And then you have on the other side of things, you know, Kendrick Nunn and Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, who are not especially good defenders. And so you're going to be making a compromise at some point there. And I think we've seen in the playoffs that... You know, especially with last year's Raptors, for example, the more guys you have on the floor who are a liability on one end of the floor, like that's just opening up so many weak points to be exploited, whether it's funneling shots by a defense. And we know how good the Raptors are at funneling shots to players they want to funnel shots to. You know, you're going to have you're going to have games where you're going to need Andre Godala or Jay Crowder to shoot you out of deficits. And I just I don't think that's something you can rely on if you're the Heat. I think their defense has the potential to be much better than it's been, and it's been sneakily kind of only league average this season. They're number 14 in defensive rating right now. You know, you add in Iguodala and Crowder, that could probably improve it a little bit, but then what, what does that do to their number eight ranked offense? Does it bring it down because you just don't have the same shooting and creation out there? And yes, Iguodala is a nice playmaker, and he's a very smart basketball player. He sees the floor extremely well, but it's almost like diminishing returns at that point because you also have Butler, who's a pretty good playmaker. You have Drogic, and you have Bam, who's an excellent playmaker. How many excellent playmakers do you really need out there? And, you know, what what is it doing for you if you don't have someone who can actually finish the plays? Like, say, the way a Danilo Gallinari would have been able to had he been brought in. And so I kind of don't love what the Heat did. I'm not terribly worried about them in a playoff series. Again, I think there's going to be a lot of weak points and exploitation spots that they're going to be opening up with whatever lineups they put out there. And so I, st I still think they're kind of 
just a smidgen below where the Raptors and Celtics are. I think the Raptors and Celtics, to me, are the 2-3. And then it's Miami kind of in their own very good tier. And then I think it's kind of Philly and Indiana. And Philly could end up falling into any one of those tiers if they get their shit figured out. I just don't think we're, we're at a point where we can predict it to happen because it's been so disastrous there all season long. So that's where I'm at. I think the Raptors are a pretty good spot. I think they are, in a roundabout way, a winner of the deadline. And that is a very cool thing. And it's nice that the Bucks didn't go and consolidate some of their depth. You know, the Robert Covington thing was really scary, I thought. And I was pretty sure that they were going to get some sort of consolidation of their Sterling Browns and Dante DiVincenzo's and whatever other pieces they have, who not all of them are going to play in the playoffs. Not all of them are going to be up to playing in the playoffs. And so I, I thought there was going to be something there where they sort of do like a Gasol type thing where they trade multiple players for one. They did not. That is cool. And I think that gives the Raptors a bit of a glimmer. If they have designs on beating the Bucks. I mean, the, the Bucks are not any more difficult to beat now than they were yesterday, and that is a good thing. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get into some of your mailbag questions now. Uh, lots came in, much appreciated. And uh, I gotta find the tweet where I sent out the thing with the questions. And here we go. Uh, there's a couple that weren't t- tied to the deadline necessarily or sort of the next steps in team building. And so I'll leave those for another time. Uh, usually I love the fun questions, but just doesn't seem to fit the theme of today. Let's first get to um, from the fadeaway. Are the Raptors good enough as constructed to defend their title? If not, which piece is the missing one? Look, I don't think they are going to defend their title. As much as I want to think that they can, I just don't think it's in the cards. That said, they are in a spot where they can capitalize. If there's an injury, if something weird happens, maybe OG Ananobi has an out-of-body experience defending Giannis in the conference finals. And if they get the two seed, the path is certainly there for them to have a reasonably easy time getting to the conference finals. Obviously, a 2-3 matchup in the second round with Boston or Miami would be a bloodbath. It would be super freaking fun to watch. I think the Raptors would stand a pretty good chance of winning that, especially if they were able to survive a first-round matchup with whatever bad team they come across, whether it's Orlando or Philly or Washington or whatever team gets those 7 and 8 spots, and no one seems to want them right now. And then... You know, that you would also have to bake in that one of Miami or Boston is probably playing a bloodbath in the first round and a 4-5 and a 3-6, both of them really. So, uh, you know, the 3-6 the matchup is going to be tough for whatever team ends up in that 2-3 second round, assuming the Raptors get the two seed. And so that's that's a nice starting point. Again, the missing piece is probably an injury somewhere, right? And multiple injuries somewhere. Like, do I think the Raptors as currently constructed are better than the Clippers? No. The Clippers are really good. Their defense is excellent. Kawhi, we know exactly what Kawhi is. And I think a Raptors fan going into a series against Kawhi, thinking that they can beat him, probably a little bit naive because Kawhi is a monster and that team is really, really stacked. And the talent is just the, the definitely leans their favor. You maybe think Pascal is better than Paul George. Maybe that's not entirely out of out of out of left field to say, but uh, like Kawhi is just so much better than everybody else in that potential series. That you know, even if they do get through Giannis, winning the championship is going to be hard. But that doesn't mean it's not a successful season, right? Like 
If this team makes it to the conference finals, wins a couple rounds with this ragtag crew of olds who are defending their title, that's an incredibly successful season. That is a wonderful story. That's one of the best stories in the NBA, bar none, even if, you know, Giannis or the, or the Clippers win the title. Like, the Raptors making the conference finals would be a remarkable success. And, and so, you know, the, the, there was not a piece out there. That's the thing, too. If there was a piece out there to, to move them ahead, maybe they would have made that move. Masai is aggressive. Masai senses his windows. Maybe this was a window he sensed. But there was no Bradley Beal. Drew Holiday, I don't think, was enough and would have cost you, in all likelihood, OG, who was the key to beating the Bucks, as we talked about on Wednesday with Joe Wolf on. And so I'm ultimately glad that didn't go and make some crazy move because there was not one out there that I think was the missing piece necessarily. So, yeah, they're not going to win a title most likely, but stranger things have happened, I suppose. I mean, the Raptors did win a title last season, and that that in itself is a weird thing to have happened. But, no, I think it's more than likely that a noble conference finals exit in six games or so is probably what's on the table, and that sounds pretty good to me because that means we're watching basketball into late May, which would be dope. Uh, next one here comes from Ava Rose. Who should the Raptors go for in the buyout market? Nobody. <laughs> I mean, the buyout market is barren all the time. There's very rarely someone who's going to tangibly change your fortunes in the buyout market. And as Eric Kareen has pointed out in a couple of things, pieces and podcasts that he's done, that a couple years ago when Marco Bellinelli and Ursan Ilyasova signed with the Sixers and completely changed their team, that is such a rare occurrence and such a, an anomaly. And to expect that two buyout guys are going to have any sort of impact like that is really not looking at the breadth of NBA history where buyout guys typically don't do anything. Like, Joe Johnson was fine, I guess, in 2016 for the Heat team that was super depressing and lost to the Raptors. And that's really all I can think of. Think of the Raptors guys that they've picked up, Jason Thompson and Jeremy Lin. I mean, neither did anything. And J- Jeremy Lin was like actively bad for the Raptors last season, despite being the prized possession of the buyout market. There's just not that much in the way of impact guys. If you're getting bought out, it's for a reason. Tristan Thompson, and this goes to a question from PJ Persius, who asks, any chance Tristan would be bought out and comes home to Toronto? Tristan Thompson, he means. You know, maybe he gets bought out, but... You know, first of all, I don't know why the I, I think there were some reporting yesterday from Chris Haynes that that's not even on the table to buy out Tristan Thompson, and who knows, reporting changes and you know teams, you know paths change, but I, I I don't know why they would buy out Tristan Thompson. Just like see what happens, you know, maybe test him out next to Andre Drummond with a Twin Towers front court and see if it works. Maybe they don't need him, and maybe they do buy him out because they got Drummond and there's no place for Thompson. But you know, I I just. That's a weird one to me. And if he does get bought out and he is available, yeah, maybe the home thing and coming to Toronto would make sense. But you have to keep in mind, as Blake Murphy pointed out yesterday, the Raptors only have like a piece, like a tiny, tiny sliver of their mid-level or the prorated minimum to offer a buyout guy. Tristan Thompson, maybe, you know, he's getting bought out by the Cavs. He has a lot of money from that because he makes a lot of money as it stands. But if that happens, I, I mean, you know, like A, probably some team out there can give him more money. And B... Why would he come and be the third center on a team when he could go to, say, the Clippers and potentially be their starting center or go to the Rockets and be their emergency center if they realize that playing with only six foot six guys doesn't work against very large teams in the playoffs? And so I just think there'll be better situations out there for a guy like Thompson, who definitely has something to offer and would be probably the best buyout guy in recent memory if he were to hit the buyout market. But I just I don't see what the compulsion for him would be to come to Toronto, right? There's just, you know, outside of the home element, he wouldn't play a ton. 
He doesn't really fit what the Raptors do. He doesn't shoot, and you need to have shooting for if you're the Raptors. Like that's just part of the deal. Like the the Raptors' entire thing is set up around everyone being able to shoot from everywhere at one time. The playmaking is really important. Serge Ibaka has made some real strides there, and Thompson's not bad, but I think they're kind of a wash in that regard. And you know Thompson might help with the rebounding issues, but again, there's just I don't see why he would come to Toronto when there would be other options out there. Even Boston, like he could be the starting center for the Celtics right away. And I think that'd be more appealing to him, most likely. And you have to keep that in mind. As much as Raptors fans might want these guys, you have to think of what their motivations and desires are as well. Uh, next one here comes from... Um, what about Isaiah Thomas? This was from OG Rude Gal. I Isaiah Thomas is maybe the worst player in the NBA. I don't see why they would do that. As much as like a third point guard would be nice, Isaiah Thomas is without question the worst defender in the NBA, and his offense is a shell of what it used to be. Chris Thompson, formerly of Deadspin, previously of the uh, temporary undamed sports blog, wrote about how Isaiah Thomas is just bad, and it sucks. It's really depressing that Isaiah Thomas, who is this wonderful story as few as three years ago when he was the number five guy in MVP voting, as much as that was a great story, he just is not that player anymore. He is an absolute disaster. He was actively sewering the Wizards' actively bad defense when he was out there. That's a feat, a rare feat, and he was able to do it. So no, I don't think Isaiah Thomas is an answer. If there's a backup point guard out there that they want to go pursue, sure, maybe like a Trey Burke could make some sense if you're willing to part ways with Malcolm Miller or whoever, but even then, like Terrence Davis to to this point has been good enough as like a guy with the ball in his hands that I think you'd be comfortable with him as your third point guard probably. Um, and you know, he's kind of occupied with a different role right now as the, the Norman Powell fill in. But I, I think between him and like McCaw and even Pascal, who who's had some ball handling chops shown off this season too. I don't think it's like a pressing need to go get an extra point guard. The Raptors are really good, man. They're in a very good spot, which has kind of been the prevailing takeaway I've had from the last couple of days. Things are pretty good. The team has won 12 in a row. Why mess with it? It's a really, really fun team. We've talked all season along about how wonderfully enjoyable this, this team has been, and even more so than last season when they won the freaking title. Like, it's been just a treat of a regular season, and bringing in someone who might you know mess up that chemistry. I'm not saying Isaiah Thomas would mess up the chemistry necessarily, but he would certainly mess up uh, any lineup he hit the floor with because he's actively terrible at basketball now. I just, I don't see it. And so I'm cool just sticking tight with this roster and hopefully guys just get healthy. That's the main thing. <laughs> like, hopefully this extra time with the All-Star break, we'll have Marcus Saul back, limber and everything with his hamstring, and things will be looking good there. Norm Powell can get back from this hand thing, and there's no complications with that. And you go into the playoffs ideally as a healthy team with a lot of talent up and down and a lot of excellent complimentary players to the top two guys in the team and Lowry and Siakam. And you just take your chances as uh, one of the deeper and more sort of well-rounded and certainly well-coached teams in the league. So, But that's all I got for today. Uh, trade deadline over, mercifully. No more fake trades, no more trade machine, at least for a little while, which is beautiful. And uh, I relish looking and watching the actual basketball. Looking forward to the Pacers game tonight. We will be back again on Monday. The Raptors play the Timberwolves that night. I'll likely record some sort of episode on Sunday night, uh, either the tee up that game or talk about the Pacers game and drop one on Monday morning. And then I'll be at the Timberwolves game to see D'Angelo Russell on Monday, which should be a lot of fun. And we'll have a podcast likely from the game talking about that in the aftermath as well. So that's what you can expect at the start of next week. We'll obviously have Katie and Vivek on and uh, we will continue on as we 
push towards the All-Star break. I'm very excited. The All-Star break is fun as hell and uh, should be a lot of fun. So that is going to do it. Please subscribe, rate, review, all that stuff. It's very much appreciated when you do that on your favorite podcast platform. Tell a friend as well. You know, we're no strangers to bringing in new listeners here. And if you uh, have a friend who likes the Raptors, maybe doesn't know about the podcast, please pass it along and maybe they will become a listener. And that would be great. Um, That's going to do it. We will talk to you on Monday. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. And we'll talk to you then with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.